0: The podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my new book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even if they do suffer from mental health issues. Okay, our guest today is my good friend, Brandon Peel, one of the foremost authorities in finding purpose whether it's a CEO, entrepreneurs, educators, doctors, or world-class artists and athletes. We're honored that Brandon is sharing some of his time with us. Brandon, how are you doing today?
1: I am feeling good. I just had a delicious burrito, and I get to see your beautiful face, which I haven't seen in a decade, at least.
0: (laughs) I think yours is better looking than mine.
1: (laughs) Time's on my side, (laughs) but...
0: I noticed, Brandon, that you're an author, a speaker, a teacher, a lecturer, and you work with companies as an enterprise purpose activator. All of that really piques my interest. Can you tell us a little about everything you do?
1: Everything. All right. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as you know, I'm committed to purpose, and that requires uh, a number of things to happen. Um, First of all, we have to have enough safety and security to have the psychic bandwidth available to even begin to ask ourselves who we are. As you probably know, the lion's share of the United States is not in that place. It's like 78% of us are paycheck to paycheck, 83% of us are stressed out from the latest APA research. So I like to work with people. At all all the different levels, like whether they're in a purpose crisis, like they've they've just realized something big, like they've lost a partner, they came out of an illness or an addiction, or they've sold their company and basically empower them to get to what matters to them. Like what is their deepest heartbreak? Um, Now, I also like to insidiously infuse purpose everywhere else. So the other 80% of the folks who are basically just struggling to get by – like how do we make their lives more meaningful? How do we bring alive their relationships, the, the joy and commitment to their craft and have them get in touch with like a cohesive story of their lives so that at minimum, at minimum, they know that the work they do matters to them. And then hopefully that provides some sort of, um, not hopefully, the research supports this, but, but the idea is that when people get connected to that, who they really are, their mental health improves, their physical health improves, their relationships improve, they become more creative and productive at work. Cool.
0: That sounds great. Let me frame our discussion, and then we can drill down into specifics. Brandon, you have a degree in finance from University of Illinois as well as an MBA from Columbia. You've worked with organizations such as Purpose Guides Institute, ION, Landmark Worldwide, Leadership Institute, the Mankind Project, Hofsteed Five uh, Dimensional Multicultural Training, and a group called Nonviolent Communications. And we also worked together a startup where you were overseeing all the facets of the company's financials. Did you ever think you would be such an influencer in all of these areas that you're currently immersed in? Well, that's a um...
1: Beautiful question, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> I feel very honored to have been asked it. Um, well, not, not when we worked together, because like, I, I was Mr. Spreadsheet and PowerPoint, and I had zero sense of my purpose. Uh, but actually, like the threads began during our days working together. Because while the rest of my life was pretty much work hard, play hard, I would steal away on Sunday mornings and go down the coffee shop and read the New York Times which kind of felt like I was like hiding my intellectual <laughs> self from everybody else. Cause I was like, I have to figure out what is real. Like what matters, like what's going on in the world. Um, so that, that actually began then, but it, so I, I started to pull the threads then like, okay, how can I make a bigger impact? And luckily that led me to Columbia where I took my first personal development course. And that's really what kind of blew the doors off i'm like oh my god i am so ignorant i don't know my purpose pretty much everything i've done up to this point has been self-serving uh and a lot of it had negative impacts on others yeah tim yeah you know um so no i did not realize that i just uh as my neocortex started to develop in my late 20s i started to be able to self-reflect and be like i don't like myself so let's let's get to work on that
0: it's uh I talk about self-discovery in my book and my speeches. And that was really a pivot point for me when I looked back and looked at all my behavior and all my resentments and, you know, what I was doing and how I was doing it. And, you know, it, it was a load of crap. And, <laughs> you know, I, I finally started working on what's the best version of myself that I can be so it really makes a difference. So what drives you to such a high level of excellence in all these areas?
1: Uh, well, I have kind of a false question. I don't think I'm excellent in all the <laughs> areas. Um, I like to think of myself as a B-plus student. Like I didn't do enough to like pass. <laughs> That's and pretty then, good. <laughs> um, but, you know, what, what drove me in my 30s is different than what drives me on September 28th, 2020. Um so for the last 6 months I've been actually going through a purpose evolution myself thinking about the 80% of the country who is so out of earshot of the American dream out of being able to express their purpose and their career um you know dealing dealing with trauma, dysfunction, addiction, poverty, crime. So what drives me right now is the purpose of these United States. It's E Pluribus Unum and life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness for all, all Americans, not just the ones who look like me and you. Um, So that's what drives me. And my heart breaks daily. I still read the New York times, so it's full of heartbreaks and um, yeah. So I I mean, a, a short answer and this is something I think your viewers might relate to is um, you know, following that heartbreak, like following, like, what is it about the world that feels like a violation? And so for me, it feels like a violation to live in a society where so many have so little. It feels like a violation of my own citizenship and leadership that I'm participating in it. I've got, you know, a relatively nice house, a decent income, great family, and a lot of that has come at the, has, has been because of my privilege being a tall Ivy white guy. And that, uh, yeah, that, that's what drives me. It's like sitting with my enormous gifts and privileges and like, how do I, how do I create opportunity for all people?
0: Yep. Yeah. So tell me about your style of your teaching or coaching or speaking that you use in these areas. Yeah.
1: Well, I actually don't do much one-on-one coaching anymore. Uh, occasionally I, I will, um, but the bulk of my work is on scale. So, looking at how do we impact the world's largest, most influential organizations like Walmart, um, Thermo Fisher Scientific, like like big big companies that have the uh, capacity to basically create these sandboxes of human flourishing. So, it's uh, it's a lot of things that don't sound very glamorous. It's business meetings. It's <laughs> creating business cases enrolling executives in why purpose and inclusion are going to help them create the cultures they need to fulfill on their purpose. Um, the, the other, the other piece is the kind of what we're doing right now is like sharing the gospel of like what's possible. So my, my style, uh, I would say is first, um, is one of like connection and, and vulnerability. Um, you know, I don't have one of these, uh, Malala type stories where I was shot in the face because I was a woman or something like that. But sharing how betrayed I am, I think resonates with a lot of folks because I think a lot of folks aren't where they want to be. Like uh, growing up in the Midwest, I was taught that if you worked hard and you married your high school sweetheart and you moved to suburbs and made some more babies and then died in Florida, (laughs) that was it. And I, I wasn't super excited about that. And I, I think that's something that, that resonates just like, even if you like quote unquote win in this country, is it really winning when like the neighborhood right next to you is full of crime and destitution? Like, no. So I, I always like to share just who I am and what I care about. Um, and I also like to back it up with science. So there's a website that some colleagues and I curate called the science of purpose.org that aggregates all the world's research because Mm -hmm. we live, you know, in a a modern, even seems like a weird word to say now (laughs) at the end of (laughs) September in the United States, but we we live in a, in a world that, that, uh, you know, values uh, reason for the most part and values scientific research and, I think that's a very important part of the conversation because people need to feel safe that this isn't just some guy saying his opinion about what purpose is and why they should find it. It's literally 30 years of research from like Harvard and Stanford saying if you do this work, you'll be happier, you'll make more money, you'll be a more effective leader, you'll be healthier, you'll be happy, you're know, like I said, happier, less stressed, all that, all that kind of stuff. So a mix of narrative
0: and data. So what would you say is the most challenging aspect of what you do?
1: Um, and the thing that's sitting right in front of my face right now is hope. Uh, there's a lot of reasons not to feel hopeful. I mean, just in the last week, right? Uh, the possibility of not having a free and fair election, uh, having the White House ban diversity and inclusion training for federal employees and contractors. Um, so you no, know, it's just like two of like two thousand headlines over the last three years. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's it, it's essentially empowering people to see that vision for themselves, like the 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 kind of life they want, the community, the career that they want. It's actually possible, despite the onslaught of probably the nicest way to say it is um, unfulfilled promises and negligence (laughs) that they're receiving every day over their social media and
0: screens. Yeah. Conversely, where where have you felt the most gratification for the work you do?
1: Hmm. It's usually at the end of a program where either I'm looking at the numbers and I'm saying like, wow, 95% of people completed, 85% changed their behavior, 76% developed new daily habits that made them more inclusive or purpose-led or emotionally intelligent. So it's like impact. It's like, that's like, oh God, yes, I moved the needle. Those are 500 executives that have partners and families and communities that they can go then be a better version of themselves and those those ripple effects um you know and i love hearing the personal stories too uh just chatting with a gentleman who uh completed his purpose work last week and i mean you can just see it on their faces it's just literally like a different face there's more liveness and also more groundedness. Um, and then of course while they're doing whatever journey they're on, they're making decisions. And this gentleman, he, he's taking a big step forward in his relationship. He crafted a purposeful way to relate to his career. So he's taken on new projects that are aligned with his deeper intuitions. Um, Yeah, so it's just seeing the impact about how people's lives actually can change when they do transformational work.
0: Yep. Right on, I'm right with you. Okay, so you do tough work, and I'm wondering, working with various clients that you do, do you ever get down on yourself and feel that the work at this level is just too challenging? You feel overwhelmed? Has that ever occurred?
1: Uh, earlier in my career, it did. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I swung at a lot of fastballs but that way and missed a lot and did not uh, serve people as well as I, as I can now. Um, but now, actually, like the question is different. It's like, is this work big enough for me? Like, Not because I'm a big person, but I'm like, I, I've got half my life left to live my people, the Americans, are struggling. Am I doing enough? Like, is, is it enough just to be, you know, to phone bank and text and, you know, share a vision, or is there a bigger way to, like, make a difference? So that's what kind of gives me stress <laughs> and anxiety.
0: Um. And I would imagine it's pretty difficult sometimes working with all kinds of different personalities. And so how do you handle that situation when people are difficult to work with?
1: Yeah. um, Short of it is, is that, you know, as you know from having gone through lots of different transformation work, we're all the same. We just have a personality that is the result of coping mechanisms. And some of us, are, have a strong suit or a coping me- mechanism in one way, and others have it in the other way. So you know, you put a few thousand people through programs, you see that it actually doesn't matter if somebody is being difficult. It just means that they have a need that that they need to have addressed. So the just to call out purpose work for uh, for a moment. Basically, what what the journey is, it's it's creating a. Um, a marriage between the personality and their soul or their purpose. And to do that, we have to get to know the per- the personality. And so there's, there's five key ones that I work with. Uh, it's the critic, the one that is like either drives you to work super hard or tells you you're no good, nothing sack of crap. <laughs> there's the image consultant that just wants to look cool and uh, fit in and impress people. There's the risk manager that doesn't want to give up everything that they've done thus far. They've got a career a track record, a way of being, relationships, obligations to family, mortgage payments, all that kind of stuff. Um, There's a skeptic that just doubts that purpose is even a thing or that any information that gets revealed in the transformation work needs to be questioned and doubted. And then there's the wounded child, and that's the last one that feels, um, or I should say, so close to the deepest pain that they've they've ever felt that they literally just kind of freeze. They just push everything away that feels just uncomfortable because they don't want to feel that pain again. So all of us have those five and many, many more, but those are the the big five. uh, and This is from Tim Kelly's work uh, at the True Purpose Institute. And helping people see... How those five kind of parts of their personality show up—it's the same for everybody. Some of them have a strong critic, some of them have a strong image consultant, some of them have a strong risk manager, strong, strong skeptic, and so forth. Um, it's not to say all people are the same. Uh, obviously, we're all unique. Uh, but when somebody's being difficult, it's usually one of those five voices that's saying like, "Danger, Will Robinson! Danger, <laughs> danger! Stop! Attack the guy up!" in the front of the room or (laughs) discredit this whole thing because of, you know, some joke I made or something.
0: Yeah, I I can relate. I talk a lot in in my uh, books and speeches about trust and ego Mm -hmm. and that, that, especially for men, it really pops up and, you know, we've all learned from our parents, from our, fathers from media society that just go out and be successful no matter what the cost is no matter who you walk over it doesn't matter you just got to you know be successful as you can and so i get it i get it yeah um so you ever bring your your work home with you and it affects your feelings and emotions and how do you deal with that? Did you ever ask for help, or mm-hmm. just kind of look inside, or how did you how did you deal with that? Yeah, um,
1: well, prior to purpose, I didn't. I was just like <laughs> work is work. Who cares? Well, well, it didn't. Fine, I'm getting paid, and I'm gonna go crack a beer and you know go to a ball game or something. Um, but. Now, or at least since Purpose came online in 2012, my whole life exists within my relationship to my Purpose. So, yeah, it's at home, it's at the gym, it's at the store, it's in all my relationships. So I don't really get to push anything out of my home, really. It's like it's, it's all here. And I think as a lot of folks are seeing, the last six months I've been at home I'm working out of my dining room right now and yeah it's there and and it's it's hard to turn it off um, regardless of what you're doing purpose activated or 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 not because you're at home you're bringing that energy of your teams of your disappointments of your uh, fears Uh, you're you're experiencing it at home so now for me The, like, men, I'm glad you brought up men, because we are at the center of a lot of (laughs) these big crises. (laughs) The center of domestic abuse crises, the police brutality crises, the uh, economic inequality crises, uh, domestic violence. I mean, just we're, and so men especially need other men, and they need support. Um, I've been involved with the Mankind Project, another men's organization, uh, for the last 15 years, and that's been critical. Sometimes I call it my spiritual gym or my psychological gym, where on a weekly or biweekly basis, I'm looking at what's not working in my life and what are the deeper issues behind it. So what's it triggering from my childhood? What ways of being am I still putting forth into my future that are not aligned with the vision that I have for my life and the world. And other men support me in that. So they hold me accountable to my promises. They call me on my BS, which like everyone, we got it. We can lie to ourselves, right? (laughs) Um, And then they can also facilitate me to go deeper into that piece that's still hurting, that still needs some healing and some, some care. So uh, that's the primary thing, but I also meditate in the morning and do yoga and all the other stuff that's supposed to help.
0: (laughs) That's ironic because the men's work I did uh, after that weekend, we would have uh, a men's team that each guy was on, Mm -hmm. seven, eight, ten people, ten guys. And oftentimes at the beginning, we would go around and ask what's working and what's not working. And the follow-up was exactly what you're talking about, is getting to the root and calling someone on their bullshit and trying to get to a solution to help them out and, yeah. and maybe even buddy up during yeah. the week to help them stay on track. So that's really healthy. It's really healthy. So let's look at your nuclear family while you were growing up as a kid. Where, where did you grow up? Illinois?
1: Yeah, Illinois. I was born in Springfield. And then uh-huh. uh, most of my childhood and school years were in the Chicago suburbs.
0: Nice. I was uh, actually uh, Detroit and Columbus, Ohio was where mm-hmm. I grew up. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So how would you characterize characterize your father as a man? Was Was he tough on you? Did he ever show you love, emotions, feelings? Did you ever spend time talking about what it was to be a man? And has that influenced your view on masculinity today?
1: Yeah. Uh, so my dad is a great coach, like athletic coach, and is really into uh, self-improvement. Mm. Um, And so it was, but it was all within the same ethos of like the success box, you know, get great at golf, get great at, uh, relationships, get great at, uh, you know, sales, making money, all that kind of stuff, but not so much on being vulnerable or being like your whole self. Um, you know, like a lot of boys, I got the, you know, wipe that frown off your face, um, you know, my emotions outside of joy weren't tolerated. And, you know, as you know, when you shut down the other parts, the joy gets shut down too. So, and you can even see it in my pictures throughout, you know, grade school through high school and college, just like the lack of joy and aliveness like year after year, because the bulk of who I am wasn't allowed. Not just for my dad, but other men and other kind of more masculine contexts and sports and fraternities and all that kind of stuff. Um, And and also my femininity, like my creativity, my sensitivity, all that was shamed out of me, beaten out of me, bullied out of me. Um, So it took a lot of work in my late 20s and early 30s to get in touch with those parts and start to integrate so that I can just – be myself as opposed to some projection of masculinity and dominance that the society, the society cherishes. So, um, but on the whole, my dad is loving, was loving, um, very affectionate. Um, and, you know, he, he can only do his best, right? So there are other parts of being a man and a father that he he never experienced and didn't know how to give me.
0: You know, it's, it's unfortunate that today's masculinity norms, you know, the good old boy network, you know, has, has prevented a lot of men from going forward and asking for help to get to that other side, to be that complete man, because they don't want to be labeled as, you know, not a real man or feminine or whatever it is. Yeah. And this I talk about this in my book about unchecked depression. You know, oh, yeah. if depression goes unchecked and all these emotions are held within that 's when guys get into risky behavior mm-hmm. because they don 't know what to do with it,
1: yeah
0: and you know, it 's just this is something that I harp on and and i 'm trying to make a difference in getting and educating younger men at a younger age about what masculinity is and is not so that they Mm -hmm. don't get these uh, norms ingrained in themselves. Yeah. Because this affects all their relationships, personal, business. Everything. Yeah. Everything. So it's very important. Um, I found out, you know, when I started self-discovery that, I was abused at home physically, emotionally, mentally, verbally. And that probably was the root of my severe depressive disorder that's recurring, Mm -hmm. as well as the that prompted my addictions that I've since Mm -hmm. overcome with the help of qualified doctors. Did you feel any kind of abuse while you were growing up? I had
1: babysitters who were violent. And some of them were sexually inappropriate. And I don't, like I said, I have great parents. Like they, they didn't really. I mean, I got spanked, but I deserved it, or at least my behavior warranted it. Like I stole things, lit things on fire, you know, <laughs> lied. Um, you know, I, w- I would say that the the the, the uh, and, and abuse is perhaps too strong of a word, but I think it's something that we wouldn't do now. So we might call it abuse if it was still happening. And the word I often use is like psychic incest where uh, because a father doesn't know who he is. uh, He doesn't know that there's anything to discover about his son. So he implants his worldview, his values in the son. And and the and the sun then lives inside of those or in reaction to them, but without ever really having the space to experience his own uniqueness, his own you know fantasies, inspirations, creativity, sensitivity. So yeah, I would say I experienced that uh, as did basically every single man I've ever met.
0: True. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. In your lifetime, young, now, in between, do you ever feel that any mental health issues or depression ever were challenging for you? You think, you know, did you think about it? Did you do anything about it? Did you keep it to yourself? Did you ask for help?
1: I don't know if I ever got to the place of clinical depression or, um, anything that might show up in the DSM and I was pretty much the poster child of toxic masculinity. So, um, you know, we <laughs> when we were at, uh entertainer together, like I didn't, I like refused to go to the sexual harassment training. I'm like, <laughs> like, why did I move to LA? I moved here to like sleep with all the assistants. Like I'm not (laughs) gonna. I can can always claim ignorance. Um, So uh, yeah, unfortunately all of my psychoses were normal. Like where I thought the world belonged to me, you know, very much like a lot of famous leaders that we won't name. Um, and so you could, you could say it's like borderline, potentially borderline personality disorder, potentially narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and that was normal. It was like, it was part of this like kind of dominator uh, paradigm. And so I didn't feel like I needed to get help. I just feel I needed to find the, the next drink and the next pretty lady. Uh, and now asking for help... I, I I did ask for help when I was in high school um, and that had to do with, you know, trying to actually lose my virginity. And because that I, I hadn't really sexually matured yet. And this is in, you know, well into high school, like I hadn't masturbated. I hadn't done anything in that area. I didn't even know how to please myself and, you know, here I am with this beautiful woman who wants to have sex with me and I can't or, or I can achieve an erection and then lose it. So I'm like, I think I'm broken. (laughs) Please help me. So I I did go see a therapist and um, was able to eventually figure it out, which, you know, to a 16 year old was, you know, (laughs) like a whole new world, obviously.
0: Yeah, I grew up in New York, so you learn that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's talk about you as a father and masculinity. Uh, I don't, you're now married. I don't know if you, you and your wife intend to have children, but if you did, how would you think you'd characterize yourself as a father of those children? Yeah. Um,
1: well, yes, you're right. We are not yet with child, uh, but that is in the plans. Um, I mean, my hope, not my hope, my intention is to be fully present, uh, um, to be playful, uh, understanding. You know, I'm just kind of thinking like the early years, right? Just to to know that I've got this helpless, fastly growing milk poop machine and just try to like <laughs> understand that's so really all it's going to be for the first couple of years. Um, and, you know, I, I think masculinity today is for, you know, expecting a new fathers is going to look a lot different than our parents um, because we are now an equal partnership or aspiring to be an equal partnership. So it's going to look like a lot more diaper changing a lot more kind of just sharing the load, like getting to fifty percent, which scares the heck out of my wife and I like <laughs> what is that even gonna look like um, and then you know, as kids move into their oh god I'm, I'm forgetting the proper psychological developmental phase, but like it's like operative, concrete, operational phase where, like, rules are important. I think it's it's important, to you know, to have, have a unified front as a parent team and to create structure uh, that's unique to each child. Because, you know, like we said before, that kid is unique. And uh, there are, are, you know, currently kind of two prevailing parenting paradigms. There's the old school way, the kind of behavior modification you're you're good to the extent you conform to our will you're bad to the extent you know the good bad boy like do this and you'll please your parents and be worthy of their love <laughs> and then there's the the other one that's much more prevalent here on the west coast which is like hands off like validate the kids every whim and wants and not hold any structure not push them to grow not teach them social skills and how to be in society and all that um, and then a helicopter them, you know, after they're, after you've succeeded in turning them into like a helpless ward of the state. <laughs> 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 and, and, and so there, there's a third way, and one that I'm inspired by, um, that uh, uh, a gentleman named Bill Plotkin talks a lot about, it's called soul-centric parenting, where you actually parent from the perspective of like, This is a fully actualized 40-year-old adult trying to get out, trying to express her himself. And how do I listen for that and stand for that and be in the question of who is my child and then create structure so that they can discover that for themselves. So it involves like blessing them, you know, like reflecting back what you see in them uh, without putting your own, you know, inseminating your own value system and your own worldview, but just to say, "Oh, wow, that really made a positive impact on your sister or on this room." Or um, that's what I hope to do. I might snap, <laughs> but that's, I, that's what I aspire
0: to do. <laughs> so, how do you, how do you describe masculinity? I,
1: I that's a great question Um because I'm. I'm usually in the conversation of like a whole human or a whole adult because they're not that different.
0: Right.
1: I mean, we all have a will to power. We all have a desire to be emotional and creative. We all have dignity and rights and uh, not that there aren't significant physical and neurochemical differences between men and women. Um, So for me, it's like, it's just wholeness. It's like being f- fully emotionally available, being able to like get in touch with your emotions and where that is in your body and being able to express that uh, and, and actually act like to be the emotion as opposed to just talk about the emotion, but to like give yourself permission to be sad, like cry, you know, uh, or ashamed. Um, that might also look like crying or angry, like beat the shit out of something. Whether that's a punching bag or an axe and a piece of wood. But, like, so for me, like, wholeness means that we have to honor our emotional bodies and express them in order to then move into a kind of relationship with them. Because that energy has to be dissipated, has to be expressed or worked through. So, and, and then it's being able to talk about it using grown up language, like I statements, like, I'm sad because I didn't get the promotion, you know, versus there's a bunch of pricks who denied me. Like, so, you know, it's being sovereign, like owning your experience um, and not essentially being a victim or deflecting responsibility over the results on other people. Not that they don't play a role, but, you know, I, I think the word sovereignty comes up a lot. So wholeness and sovereignty being Self-possess. You know your purpose. You know why you're here. You know your shadows, the the ways that get in the way of you living your purpose and values and your relationships. Um, and you, it, you know, while we're at it, like if we're thinking whole, a man or a woman, there's no such thing. We exist in relationship. We are exist in communities, in marriages, in families, and so it's. It's also recognizing your inter- interdependence and how much you actually need others. Like mm. women well. are not just providers of sex and beauty and children. Like <laughs> there's so much there. Right. And same thing with, you know, cousins and community members and neighbors. And like, we have to nurture those relationships um, because that's, especially now times of COVID, right. We, we need each other more than ever. And we're in like a loneliness epidemic, a stress epidemic, an obesity epidemic, an addiction epidemic. I mean, all of this is there because we don't know how to be in relationship with each other.
0: So true. You're so enlightened. <laughs> so tell me, what you've worked with a lot of people. You've done some great work. I love it. Um, what's the biggest thing you learned from all those experiences so far? <sighs>
1: I mean, it's it's hard to get pull myself out of the present moment. But um, what I'm learning right now is trust and faith, because I have a very strong like warrior archetype. Like I just want to do, do, and do, and do, and like you know, it's it's part of that old model of like a man is only as worth, only as good as his actions, and like you got to keep fighting and doing, and uh, uh. and most of the time that's probably not the right thing. It's actually to like to be patient and to listen, and kind of like develop a spiritual practice. Like I trust that if I do the right thing and 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 know more than the right thing, you know, like not busying myself with all these things, I do the right thing and create the space. I'm in a place to receive, and this is something that I have not learned. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is something I I'm stepping into, and it's a uh, it's a refreshing way of being that's different than the hyperactive guy who gets shit done all the time.
0: You've touched on so much. You know, I just want to share with you what I how I view masculinity. Um, it, I call it a three dimensional man, and one dimension. Is called Clint for Clint Eastwood, <laughs> you know, carrying the refrigerator down the stairs and moving large boxes, but also doing the tough things, having that difficult meeting that you know you have to have with whether it's a family member or business person, and you know it's going to be tough and they're not going to like it, but you feel it's absolutely necessary that that you talk to them about that. And on the other hand, another side of the triangle is having a sense of humor and not <laughs> taking everything so seriously. You know, that's not fun. And the third thing is whatever your belief in spirituality is, choose, choose your kind. It doesn't matter. But have some kind of connection. <laughs> And if you have, and if you have those all, all three of those, I consider that a masculine man and beautiful, you know, it, it, it's tough to get our arms around it, our minds around it, get grasp, grasp of it. But that's really what I talk about a lot because it, it really affects personal man's personal relationships with other men, other women at home, in the workplace, it it's a big factor. And and men, you know, like we were before we got enlightened, you know, we just thought straight ahead, <laughs> knock, knock them on their ass, you know.
1: So I hear you. Can I, can I share one thing on the tail end of that, yeah. Tim? So um, I once asked Thomas Moore, who wrote the book uh, Care of the Soul,
0: yeah.
1: bestseller from the 80s.
0: I'm ready.
1: And I said, you know, like, what's your back of the envelope for whether somebody is embodied in their soul? Mm. And he said two things. He said, one is they're polytropic. They can, they're at, they're at home in their own heart and soul, and they can be anywhere and with anything. So it's like, it kind of speaks to the integration of ego okay. and soul. Um, and, the, and the second thing he goes, good sense of humor. He's <laughs> like, this is it's absurd. Everything, especially this year, is absurd. You have to be able to like after you're done lamenting and pounding the desk and throwing things across the room, you gotta
0: laugh. Like, what the
1: heck is going on right now?
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. The other night I was uh getting ready to go sleep and I don't know why, but my mind focused on my mother who you know she was an abusive woman and she drank a lot and took pills but i just i just started laughing uncontrollably like thinking about the things that she did and she was brilliant you know she was intelligent she was way ahead of her time but the stuff that she used to do to family other men other women was off the chart like you know i'm surprised she didn't get smacked in the face a few times but i just lost it and and kept laughing and laughing and laughing and you know i i was noticing myself and said god that that makes me feel so good that i can look at that like that you know after all those years so yeah well i just i want to thank you for taking the time you know as anybody, all our listeners can see, Brandon's story has been quite remarkable. He's a self-made man of courage and bravery and giving to his community a true model for our world today. Before we end, I just want to see if there was anything, any final thoughts that you might have.
1: Oh. Well, I have a big issue is self-made. I've had a lot of help and support, uh, parents romantic partners, men's circles. Um, uh, Yeah. I mean, my invitation to, um, and all the men out there, especially now, like we didn't really know what to do before COVID. You know, it was like, gosh, this is me too. I don't, I can't say this. I can't do this. Like, you know, this is, (laughs) <laughs> there's no jobs. <laughs> the jobs that are here are terrible and they could end at a minute's notice. Um, my my invitation is just to consider the possibility that it can be better. It absolutely can be better. And there are people who, who do the hard inner work and get to experience more of themselves and more of themselves is therefore available for their jobs, for their partners, for the world, because we need men. We need men. I mean, I'm ecstatic. There's so many women leaders rising and it doesn't mean that we play no role in the next normal. Like we need grown ass men who are willing to own their stuff, do their work and show up with their purpose in service of what they most care about. And that hopefully is family community peace, prosperity.
0: Well, it's been awesome. I I look forward to continuing our dialogue moving forward. I want to learn from you so I can help others. Thanks again. Listeners, please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts and keep your eyes out for my new book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men in depression, masculinity, and suicide. Please contact me for speaking engagements through my website, timcrass.com. Have fun, everybody.